Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching. This is the Goat Movie Podcast. My name is Angel. I'm Julius. We love talking about movies. Thank you so much for joining us today. On this episode, we are finally going to be doing our Fantastic Four pitch part three. This is Julius's vision, Julius's story of how to incorporate the Fantastic Four into the MCU. For those of you who are just jumping into this story, feel free to check out the part one and part two video that we have. They are brilliant stories. Oh, thank They're you. Fantastic. I actually went over them again just to prepare for part three and be invested as I was as the first two parts. They oh, are wonderful. You. I love them. And uh, we'll be sure to put the two links below for this video description. Go ahead and enjoy those and get yourself caught up, especially if you love Marvel's first family. I'm telling y'all, this story is legendary. Where we're at Thank right you. now, it's insane. The first one is the coming together story. The second one is the ultimate villain with the maker. And the third one is leading us into a world called Zenla with Silver Surfer possibly showing up. I'm ready to see this. Julius, oh, man. where are we at? Well, before, well, <laughs> where are we at? <laughs> We're in quarantine. We're at home right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I, for a second, I thought you were going to be like a total recall. Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, first, uh, some, before we get started, I wanted to address a couple of things because mm -hmm. this has kind of been uh, something that I've wondered if I was going to really address because in the first part, uh, I do something a bit controversial that is going to last uh have an effect at least where you know in the first part we had uh ben and sue together because of a, a very specific reason um which you can listen to the first part and the second part and see why that reason is um right. the, and and i don't like this because i think it I don't like this response that I'm going to say mainly because it can be used as an excuse to permit a story that doesn't fully work. But, you know, people said, Oh, why is Sue and Ben, why are they together? You know, like, cause it's not the norm, but I, there are comics where those people are together. And the reason I'm saying it is just because I, those, that criticism exists, you know? And I think right through this story, there are going to be more comments saying, why are they, read and sue you know what i mean like and and i not only did it because it happened in comics before but because i thought it would lead to a more interesting conflict within these characters you know a, a story that would uh benefit from that type of change which we right. you and i established in the first part video which came out in september i think around that time which is yeah. crazy yeah time flies i mean we we have been getting i mean it's like one or two people that are saying yeah we don't but like they're the loud whole, whole yeah they're they're pretty loud <laughs> but i once you once you actually listen to the pitches part one and part two you'll understand the the bold story you know choice that you made there thank you as i listen to both of them back to back i really appreciate how it's how that dynamic the marriage between ben and sue how that affects the overall story. It does create human uh, family drama that I think is very interesting. And it also adds to the thematic layer of Reed Richards understanding that becoming a recluse, only focusing himself in just his work and keeping all his close relationships distant, those have consequences. And that's, what it, that's exactly what happened. Sure, you have that relationship established before. I mean, Sue and Reed were, were engaged. They were they were they were soon to be married in that part one pitch, but you know 
crap happens in life. And <laughs> you know, Reed, Reed got himself to the point. You didn't do that. Reed did. You know, that's 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 the narrative that you told, and those are the 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 paths that 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 those characters chose, and that's what happened. And I really like that. And uh, I really like the the focus of the pitches being really more into exploring the multiverse and protecting every single one rather than just focusing on the relationship between Sue and Reed. But that relationship is still there. It's still rich. You still feel that love there. And it's very interesting to see, could it come back? Could it not? And what could it mean in the end? Well, in the end, regardless of whether they're together or not, they're all still family. I love that line in part two when we meet um, Frank and Valeria and they do stuff that it resembles like what they usually do. So like Frank needed to go take a piss before they went to go explore and Johnny went to go do the same thing. And Valeria pulled out like a, like a giant ship that she had to jump the multiverse. And Ben goes, yep, those are our kids, <laughs> you know, like, and it's not, they're not even his kids. Like they're Frank, they're Reed and Sue's kids, but he says, those are From our another kids. universe. Yeah. And, but they're all still family though, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't think, Sue and Reed being together or not being together deserves, you know, losing your head over, you know, because I think the passion is still there. The intelligence is still there. The characters are still there. And a very strong story is there that allows you to visualize what's going on. Well, thank you. I, you know, I, the, while I'm writing this stuff and this, it, not just the Fantastic Four stuff, because right before this, we did X-Men stuff. Yeah. Um, and, check that out, guys. Yeah. Check that out. Cause that is connected. Um, check out all the fan casts we got. <laughs> oh, th- yeah. And so you can just visualize it better. But, um, I, I write these getting excited about reading them to you because I, I know you get it. You know what I mean? Not that if anyone who doesn't like it doesn't get it. It's just that, like, I when I, when I read it to you, when I'm lucky enough to read this stuff to you, I I see the face, your face, and some of the excitement and some of the curiosity. Because I remember when we first read the part one, Fantastic Four thing, your face right when I said that Reed and Sue weren't together, you were just like, huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> uh you know so it's that you know i get really excited while writing this stuff it's like oh man what is this guy gonna freak out about because you i feel like you are the living embodiment of the audience you know what i mean <laughs> like we've seen movies together in the theaters at our place and we've freaked out we've cried we've enjoyed ourselves oh yeah man i mean hated even, films you know right. <laughs> yeah. even before this whole quarantine we we watched the entire lord of the rings trilogy and it wasn't even the extended cut. Get this. Mind you of this. It wasn't even the extended cut. So we'll get to the extended cut one day. But just rewatching the entire trilogy, it reminded me how legendary that series was. And, yeah. and we watched it with my brother, too, with a new, with a new member. It's always great to rewatch movies yeah. with like a new person who hasn't seen it. Because not only am I watching the movie, I'm like watching them, too, at the same time. <laughs> like, oh, damn, Aragon's about to freaking, you know. When Sam break. picks him up, Robert's just like, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like. I don't know. I, I, get, I just I really love storytelling, and mm-hmm. I feel that same thing when you're when you're telling these stories. Like seriously, I was laying down listening to part two, and my eyes are closed, and I'm listening to the whole thing, and I'm like, man, how legendary would it be to see, uh, you know, the maker come on come on screen like earlier than I would even think possible in the MCU. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like I feel like it's just such a such a really good opportunity for for that to happen, 
but it, and but it's already happening in my mind from from your pitch. So even if it doesn't happen, like it already kind of happened uh, yeah. in a hypothetical MCU world. <laughs> Thank so you. Uh, I like if. to think that's canon too. And then what I'm following is is canon as well. You, you know, I've actually been thinking a lot about that while writing this stuff. Uh, you know, because mm-hmm. they're obviously going to be doing something different probably in the MCU, and they're like, there's news every day of something with the Fantastic Four. And I'm thinking about the stuff I'm writing and these versions of the character that I'm writing that I'm very attached to at this point. I'm just like, man, I wonder what I'm going to feel like when these movies actually do come out. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know, it, right? It's and a very bizarre feeling. Yeah. And, and I mean, rumors are getting louder about John Krasinski having virtual yeah. meetings with, 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 with Marvel and stuff. So, that might be a possibility. I know we've talked about how we're not, we're not, that wasn't our first choice. Not the first you know, choice. Yeah. It, it's hard. It's hard to picture John Krasinski, the guy from the office, the guy yeah. who was up for Captain America, yeah. you know, to be, you know, the smartest person in the Marvel cinematic universe. Like, it's hard to picture that because that, that's a very specific type of character. And I don't know, like he's very different from, from how I see Reed Richards from how you see Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. Just, just somebody who's not, I think, naturally charismatic. You know, Reed Richards is very hard to connect with because he's so unique and different. And I feel like, I don't know. It's just, he's it, like it a spark, if you will. Yeah, it requires a different presence for sure. And I don't yeah. know if John Krasinski can do that. I think he's going to give us a, a different, a different version. Mm-hmm. You know, for sure, that's going to be, that's going to work for whatever his pitch is. But for your pitch, like I'm imagining, like, you know, I know you've said Andrew Lincoln. Yeah, Andrew Lincoln, hundred yeah. percent. Like I, I totally see that in my head. Or Ewan McGregor works. Ewan too. McGregor. Oh yeah. man, that would I'd be freaking out. Yeah, exactly. Matt Smith, like that. That those Simon Pegg, like John Krasinski. You know, it's very different. Yeah. But it's a different I, type of casting. But the if thing that is, occurs, if that occurs, yeah. I'm sure they're definitely they're benefiting from John Krasinski being cast because. You know they can also bring along Emily Blunt, and their 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 chemistry together is powerful. And I yeah. feel like if they're going with something that they really want to focus on the chemistry between Reed and Sue, then Emily Blunt and John, John Krasinski are, are perfect because they were wonderful in A Quiet Place. And they're married. Yeah, and they're married too. Yeah. So you know, I guess we'll see what happens. You know, yeah. uh, but what we're gonna see happen right now is this story uh <laughs> before we had part one the first story was called fantastic four foundation the second foundation. one was oh sorry foundation oh thank you uh we had fantastic four second chance Th- this one is going to be fantastic four one for all Woo! and yeah. four for all four for all yeah i was thinking <laughs> can I, where can i put the four in this <laughs> uh so should we get started is there anything we should say before we get started <laughs> yeah no let's get started man let's do okay. it okay uh, for the record this this is the longest one that i've written so far i'm sorry let's hear it. Oh, but enjoy all, <laughs> all right are you ready angel mm-hmm. you got your popcorn i don't see it i got my water i got <laughs> okay fantastic four one for all <sighs> Our story begins with a simple series of deep breaths, in and out, in and out, in and out. Mr. Fantastic himself, Reed Richards, scientist, adventurer, hero. He sits crisscross in the center of a compact, metallic room. His eyes are closed. His posture is straight. His mind is clear. 
While meditating, Dr. Richards is only illuminated by the artificial light available in the futuristic room. Through the doctor's mind only travels one thought, home sweet home. The room shakes and the sound of boiling pots can be heard. Reed's eyes open and are directed to a makeshift kitchen. He gets up, slowly pouring himself a cup of tea. Near his makeshift sleeping area, cornered in a cramped area of a small room, a little radio starts to transmission. Slowly, static from the radio dies down, and a rock and roll station starts to come through. Reed turns up the dial on the little radio, listening to the classic, and takes a sip of his chamomile. He faces a giant window at the front of his room. The view is of his home, Earth. It's revealed that Reed is in a small pressurized spaceship. At the hull, a chair sits empty with a control system waiting for Richards. Reed comes close to the glass. He looks at the grand scope of the Earth. There are storms near Africa. Hundreds of forests stretched across thousands of miles, but they look so much smaller. On a moment, on, on a monitor, Reed's destination is the Baxter Building in New York City. The shuttle shakes harder as it enters the atmosphere. The shaking becomes hectic, causing Reed to drop his cup. Quickly, he grabs the control scheme. His computer reports that Engine 3 has been lost. Reed prepares for a crash landing. Marvel Studios intro. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> now, on it Earth... Blue. It, it's blue. <laughs> <laughs> on Earth... Deep in New York City, the people's shining monument dedicated to education and innovation is the Baxter Building. Inside the skyscraper is the leading school for science and engineering, the Future Foundation. As the day starts, students throughout their dorms get up and enjoy the last two weeks of the semester before summer break. In her on-campus apartment, the head of the school is woken by our alarm. It's 7.30 a.m. Susan Storm Grimm, the invisible woman as we know her, gets up next to her snoring husband, Ben, or as the world knows him, The Thing. And The Thing, uh, he's obviously a bit older at this point. He, and you see this visually because some of the rocks on his skin, or his skin, which is rocks, some of them are shaded gray. It kind of beard, outlines a beard on his face. She tells him... To, it's time to make the bacon. Susan walks through the campus with a cup of coffee. In her halls, she sees students rushing to their classes. Others are showing off their little inventions to each other. This puts a smile on Sue's face. Down the hall, the head of security, Willie, with his Lieber mustache, still in his late 70s, can be seen. He's repairing a faulty security camera on the ceiling. Sue passes him, wishing him a good morning and reminding him that her husband still wants to talk to him about the placement of security cameras. Willie huffs at the thought of meeting with Ben Gurham and continues his work. As class starts, Susan makes it to her office. She sits in the headmaster's seat, noticing different items on the docket, schedules, notepads, post-its, everything. Se secretaries call in, telling her that different department heads, scientific advisors, and members of school boards have left her messages. She's overwhelmed with work, and she spills some coffee on her pants. She gets up to grab a napkin but can't find one. She's frustrated, but at the moment, Susan's door is knocked. The door is opened. And Susan quickly uses her invisible power only on her legs. She basically looks like a floating torso. Into the office enters a former student, but now a new professor of robotics, Bentley Whitman. 
Bentley is skinny with a mustache, kind of strung up. He notices Susan's invisible stature, but moves it past it awkwardly. Susan asks the teacher why he isn't conducting class, and the professor tells her that he found an unusual projectile moving into the Earth's atmosphere. It's flying really quickly, burning up, but not instantly. Susan is bothered by the quote-unquote issue, asking why Bentley is caught up with a simple meteorite. Bentley tells Sue that he was told to report anything that was cause for an expert opinion. Sue appreciates Whitman's attentiveness and excitement to impress, but the reality is that what he's found is not cause for major concern. Whitman relaxes a bit and starts to head back to his class. Leaving Sue's office, Bentley notices a framed picture on her wall. It's of her, her husband, Ben, her brother, Johnny, and their friend, Reed. The four of them are together, posed in a blue radiation suits on the cover of Time magazine. Ben stands tall with a rocky thumbs up. Johnny is up in the air, hovering and on fire. Sue is partly invisible, and Reed stands in a superhero position with his elongated arms hitting his hips. Headline, one for all. Bentley asks why the Fantastic Four haven't been around as much these days. Sue tells him that it's simple. They're not together right now. And there are plenty of other heroes out there to take care of the world. Whitman understands, kind of, looking back to the picture. He tells that Mr. Fantastic was an inspiration when he came to the Baxter. Sue tells him, ironically, that he's a like Reed. Whitman smiles and leaves, going back to class. Sue looks to the picture and chuckles. She is back wandering through her school halls later, muttering to herself, reciting a speech again and again. But it just doesn't sound right. She's frustrated and looks out the window. Below the Baxter building is the rest of the city. It's so much and so close, but why does it feel so far away? Her focus on the view is broken when she notices that meteorite that Bentley brought up, the one that she dismissed, it's closer than she considered. It's looking like it's not just falling, but it's guided. There's a a definite attempt at a flight pattern, and it's aimed right for the Baxter. She runs down the hall as fast as she can. In another hall, Willie is fixing up another security camera, but this time joined by Ben, who is caught up arguing with the security guard. He tells Willie that they either have to invest in more cameras or stop placing them in places where they'll be useless. Willie tells Ben that he's been in this business for 56 years and that he's not, he wasn't there for any of that. Before Ben can yell back at Willie, the two notice the Sue is running right towards them. She tells Ben to come with her to the roof and for Willie to get the students down to the safety bunkers ASAP. They break. While running, Ben asks his wife what the emergency is, but she doesn't know yet. They make it to the roof and both see the approaching meteor. It's aimed right for them. It gets closer and faster and closer and faster. She summons a force field above her and Ben catching the incoming object. Slowly, the flames of the vessel die down and Sue and Ben see that the meteorite is actually a ship of what's or what's left of one. Sue lays it down slowly on the roof and the two get ready to fight whatever or whoever comes out. The pod door opens, gas escapes, and a small flight of stairs pops out from the ship. Exiting is Sue and Ben's old friend, Reed. He smiles, asking how they've been doing. The two rush to him, giving him a big family hug. They thought something happened. Where has he been? 
he hasn't he hasn't been transmissioning in a while. Reed knows that it's been a while since he's tra- reported in, but he definitely tried for the past eight months since he left with Valeria and Franklin. Sue and Ben look at each other, confused. They ask Reed if he's okay. Though he's a bit spaced out and dizzy, he assures that he is. Why do you ask? They tell Reed that he's not been gone for eight months. He's been gone for five years with Valeria and Franklin. Reed is tripped out, but quickly remembers agreeing. He apologizes, telling them that the trip from space might have made a couple things backwards. Ben asks Reed where the kids are, but since he's still lucid, Reed gives mixed up answers. He passes out in Ben's arm. We go to black. Reed wakes up in a bed, alone. He's jumpy, looking around to see that he's in his old apartment. And it looks just like how he left it. Books everywhere, some open, some with torn pages, whiteboards with different formulas and calculations scribbled, a giant window letting in sunshine. Richards is unsure of what happened, still a little bit spaced out. Entering his room is Sue. She asks him how he's feeling, and Reed tells her that he's just getting his bearings together. How long has he been out? Two weeks. Today is the last day of school. She asks him if he can remember why he's been gone for so long. Susan knows that Reed and his mission to help the multiverse, uh, he had his mission to help the multiverse, but surely with Valerian Franklin at his aid, he should have been done a while ago. Five years? I mean, what the hell? You guys can take care of that in two years, less than two years. Reed's forgotten certain points of his journey. His travel back to Earth involved a high amount of tachyon energy, so it's possible that along with the prolonged exposure of space travel, it could have made a, things, a couple of things backwards. Mm-hmm. All he needs is time and rest. The two are interrupted by Professor Bentley, who just casually lets himself into the apartment. Sue demands to know what he wants, but Bentley is a bit starstruck at the sight of Reed, his, his idol. He introduces himself as his biggest fan. Reed is charmed, but a little bit weirded out by the professor. Whitman tells Susan that she has an hour before her address. Reed is confused. What address? Susan is about to give an end of the semester speech to the student's body, wishing her graduates well and a good summer. She tells Reed to rest up and that they will talk after the assembly. Reed wishes the principal the best of luck. She tells him that he hired her so that she could make her own luck. She exits out of Reed's apartment, running into a giant group of students who are hoping to get a glimpse of their hero. She shoos them away, telling them to go to the assembly. Still with Richards is Bentley. He is weirded out by the professor. At this point, there's no hiding it. Whitman asks where he's been for so long, and Reed tells him that he's still trying to piece all of that together. At this point, Bentley asks awkwardly if he can be a member of the Fantastic Four. Basically, giving his resume, he's brilliant, motivated, has ideas for technology that the team could benefit from. With equipment, he is a real whiz. This request makes Richards uncomfortable, telling him that he will have to think about it. Bentley leaves excited, and Reed stays, trying to get some rest. In the auditorium of the Baxter, 350 students and 40 uh, faculty stand, waiting for the assembly. Different types of majors fill up the conversation of bright minds, engineering, space exploration, biology, and so on. Backstage, students are, uh, Susan is going over the speech in her head once again. In solitude, she's surrounded by a small force field that she conjures. It's kind of like the uh, cone of silence and get smart. 
Left, <laughs> left alone with her thoughts, Ben comes up to her, knocking on the invisible wall. She powers down, looking up to him. She notices that his orange rocky shell is going a bit gray in some places. He tells her that he's just getting old, but so are these students waiting for her. She smiles and is ready, going on stage, meeting an applause from the, her school. Ben watches from behind the curtain, proud. While smiling, he coughs a bit, spitting some blood in his hand. A backstage attendant gives him a napkin to wipe it off, and he does so quickly. On stage, students, Sue tells her students how proud she is of all of them. At the Future Foundation, they act as scientists, but create like magicians. There's no end to the good their discoveries can unfold. Not just for their world, but for all. She quotes physicist Isaac Rabe. I think physicists are the Peter Pans of the human race. They never grow up and keep their curiosity. In his apartment, Reed can't sleep. His thoughts are bombarded with memories rushing towards him and visions of all types of nature. He gets up from the bed to pour himself some water. While pouring in the glass, he hears the sound of a giant tsunami. He drops it, shattered all over the floor. His breath starts to stifle. Richards looks to the giant window, seeing the rest of New York. In the city, the people continue. Their lives are present. While watching all of this, Reed can only hear the sound of explosions and people screaming. His mind is spinning. Eyes are droopy. He looks up to the, see the sky turning into a dark, morbid purple. Quickly, Reed breathes in and out, and so on. Finally, he manages to remember enough. He finally knows what happened. Reed rushes out. He makes it to the auditorium entrance. Using his power of stretching, he slides in between the cracks of the front doors. There, he sees student, or students listening to Susan's speech, which is concluding. He's proud to see her up there, not so different from where they were all those years ago at MIT. On stage, Susan is having some trouble remembering parts of her talk, but thankfully, she sees Reed in the crowd. She gives him a grand entrance, letting the crowd focus on him. Kind of like, oh, the pressure's off me. Here, you take it, man. Reed gives him, uh, Reed is standing in the aisle with the spotlight in the middle of hundreds of students and faculty, giving him a standing ovation. He smiles, shakes some hands, and from afar, signals to Sue that he has to talk to her. With that in mind, Sue wraps it up, dismisses her school, wishing them a great summer. In a conference room, Reed sits across Susan and Ben. He tells them that he remembers what he, Valeria, and Franklin have been doing for five years and why he came back to Earth. Now it's a flashback. It's five years ago, and Reed is with his foster children from an alternate universe, Valeria and Franklin Richards, who at this time are 16. The three pilot their ship, the Fantasticar, leaving the Earth's atmosphere. Reed was helped by the people of Latveria in updating the vehicle for space travel. The government felt as if they owed him uh, for all the good that he did, saving their country and guiding it through tragedy, as we saw at the end of Second Chance. And he also bought, brought Doom's uh, green coat back. Yeah, he also had some snacks. <laughs> The reason Reed, Valeria, and Franklin left is because they received a distress call from the other side of the universe. The call was from a planet called Zen La by a small town leader. Their leader goes by the name Norin Rad. Their planet had felt the effects of the multiverse wave harder than any other due to the events of the Maker and Second Chance, as we've established. A parasite grew on the planet, 
infecting the people, turning them into animalistic savages. It became known as the Annihilus Wave. The virus crawls inside a Zenian skin tissue. When attacked, there are different levels of infection, and a person can turn from a matter of minutes to days. Norn led a small group of survivors to sanctuary, but knew that they needed help. He sent a transmission throughout the universe. That's when Reed and his kids took up the call. They arrived at the planet and have been helping the people manage ever since. Back in the present, Sue and Ben still sit there, across from their friend. Ben assumes that the kids are still on the planet, and Reed confirms this, telling him that Zenla has become a new home for them, and himself. They wouldn't leave. Sue asks why he came back. What does he need? He says, I need the Fantastic Four. Susan is confused. Why come to them to fight this Annihilus wave? Sounds like it could use other, more qualified superheroes for that job, and there are plenty around the block. Reed tells her that he's not bringing them to fight off the virus but to find a cure for it. Years ago, when they encountered Zombie Willy from an alternate universe, as we remember from Foundation, Sue examined it. With the people of Zen Law, their biology isn't much different from humans, and the effects of the virus are 90% identical to what they went up against years back. He knows that with her, a cure, or at least a vaccine, can be found. Ben asks why these space zombies haven't been taken or haven't been wiped out just like that. Surely these space people, or whoever, have weapons or an army. Reed tells him that it is possible, but he's prevented it. While in space, Reed was introduced to, let's call them, the local authorities. They wanted to purge those infected, but Richards convinced them to give him more time to find a scientific solution. Reed wants to bring Sue in as a science officer, and Ben and Johnny as security. Speaking of which, where is Johnny? Susan tells Reed that her brother is in Latveria, living a normal life. Reed is shocked. Johnny Storm? Normal life? Susan chuckles. Life kept moving on while you were out saving the universe. Stunned and proud, Reed asks if they're in. Susan and Ben look to each other, both quiet. Ben looks to Reed, answering, I'm in. Sue is shocked, asking if they should at least talk about it. He, he tells her, that there's not much to talk about. He's a monster, and she's a genius, and Reed needs both of those. The people of Zen Law don't have much time, and they have to use it wisely. Susan is more worried about the school. Sure, school's out, but they have to get ready for the next semester. What about the students? Just then, a voice from the other side of the room near the entrance calls out, saying that he has it under control. Like you said, Mrs. Storm, Earth has enough heroes. The three look to the right to see Bentley once again creeping near the door. <laughs> Three-fourths of the Fantastic Four are annoyed now by the pest, but Reed sees the potential in Whitman. Sue is a bit more skeptical, calling him a younger Mulkovic. Bentley prefers the wizard. Reed begs Susan for her help, asking what's holding her back. Sue firmly says nothing. She agrees to go, leaving the room instantly to call Johnny to inform, uh, to inform him that they're going to come visit him. Before she leaves, Sue, she comes to Whitman, warning that if he burns the school down in her absence, conducts unauthorized experiments, or even staples the wrong paper, he won't see her coming. Bentley leaves the room as well, excited but terrified. Reed and Ben are left in the room together. 
Richards asks why Susan is so cold to Whitman. And he says, honestly, I think you remember, sorry, honestly, I think he reminds her a lot of you when you were together. Reed is quiet, but he understands. Suddenly, Grimm starts to cough again. It's hard and sounds hellish. Reed asks him if he's okay, and Ben nods his head. Richards asks his old friend how long he's had the cough, but Ben tells him not to worry about it. The thing leaves to go pack and get their fantastic car, too, ready. Reed watches his sick friend leave the room. The next day, Reed, Sue, and Ben enter the garage where the ship is. Their backs are their bags are packed with supplies, suits, and they're off. From the control room, Whitman opens the giant garage doors off the roof. Or of the roof. The three superheroes enter the Fantastic Car 2 with Ben piloting. They fly out of the Baxter building, leaving New York, heading for Latveria. The air rushes at 200 miles per hour. Reed, Sue, and Ben enter European airspace, contacting nearby air traffic controllers, requesting the land. They're cleared and head down, landing at a Latvian air hangar, where they leave their ship. The three are greeted by Abdul, a consultant for the Latvian government. The consultant is surrounded by Latvian soldiers, citizen, and press who treat the Fantastic Four as returning heroes, especially Reed. He's surrounded, given pictures to sign, Selfies to take, presents. He's a bit overwhelmed, looking to Sue and Ben for assistance, but they look at him like, you got it, don't don't worry, don't worry about it, you got it. The crowd is handled, and the assistant guides out three heroes to their transportation. Reed asks for specific modifications made for this fantastic car, and the assistant is way ahead of him, saying he remembers his last visit. Susan asks if the Latvian government has notified Johnny and the others for their survival, or for their arrival and they have. Reed asks who these others are, and Sue tells him that Johnny lives in a small village of Latveria called Tonsburg, with former victims of the multiverse wave from years back. Reed, Sue, and Ben enter the town car and head out. Reed watches through the window, seeing Latveria completely different from before. The sun shines brighter, highlighting meadows and fields that look endless. Children play throughout these grasses, pretending to be different members of the Fantastic Four. Abdul tells Richards that he really made a difference when he helped rebuild Latveria. He and the other three are just as big a heroes as their former prime as their former prime minister, Victor Von Doom. Reed tells him that Victor is the real hero and should be held up higher than him. Abdul responds, saying that the Latverian people honor their former leader, but freedom is freedom. Victor allowed choice and peace, but it was limited. On the other hand, Reed gave their people an opportunity to grasp true liberty. Reed can't argue with the assistant. All he can do is miss his old friend. The car becomes quiet. For those who don't know, Victor died, or was, you know, it looked like he died at the last film. The town car arrives in Tonsburg. It's quiet and pleasant, a small Baroque Victorian town that we could only dream of ending up in. In the town square, a giant bronze statue of the Fantastic Four stands. Reed, Sue, and Ben are escorted through the town up the village hills. Reed desperately tries to confirm with Sue. This is where Johnny lives? It's so unlikely. Ben tells him that he can't believe it either. No bar to watch the game. They arrive to the Storm Farm. 
In the front yard is Johnny Storm, now in his mid-30s, with a good strong build and a blonde beard. He's moving from his barn to his house with two buckets over his shoulder, filled with milk. (laughs) He stops to notice at his front gate, Reed, Sue, and Ben, his family. He chuckles, putting the buckets down. Beautiful day, he says. Sue rushes to her little brother, giving him a big hug. The two laugh. Johnny asks how she's been. She tells him that sometimes she can barely breathe due to the stress, but nothing is unusual. He looks great. Reed and Ben approach Johnny. Richard's shaking his hand, telling him that he's come a long way. Johnny tells him that he's doing his best to keep cool. Speaking of keeping cool, Johnny notices that Ben's beard game is strong. More gray than his, but, you know, good. Ben tells the kid to shut up, and he pulls him in for a bear hug. The four are back together and feel fantastic. I'm talking about. (laughs) Suddenly, a voice can be heard from inside Johnny's house. A woman's voice with an accent so tender, you'd fall in love just by hearing it. She calls for Johnny. Coming out of the house is a woman with red hair a delicate face, and eyes that are blind. Her name is Alicia Masters, and Johnny introduces her as his wife. Reed is stunned, noticing Elisa's stomach. She's pregnant by eight months. Wow, this kid's really got it together. Susan comes up to Alicia, giving her a hug, happy that they can finally meet. Ben pats Johnny's back. Good for you, kid. Later that night, Reed, Sue, Ben, and Johnny sit in their host's den near a fireplace that Johnny ignites with his powers. Alicia is good on her feet, serving her guests tea. Johnny insists, not insists, insists on helping her, but Alicia tells him that she has it. She says, in this house, I saved the day. Johnny tells Reed that he came to Latveria to get away from the mess that his life was in New York. He was hounded by paparazzi and agents back home. Celebrity? (laughs) After the events of Second Chance, he knew he couldn't waste any more of his time. He knew that he had his powers for a reason, and it wasn't to sell hot fries. Johnny helped with the reestablishment of Latveria's culture. Through that, he met Alicia, who was helping also, even with what some would call her a disadvantage. The rest, as they say, is history. Reed tells him how proud he is of Johnny. This life, this him, is unbelievable. It's so great that he doesn't know how to tell Johnny why they've come to him. Surprisingly, Johnny has an idea. They need him to save the world. Superhero stuff or something like that. Reed nods his head, telling Johnny that a planet far away with people like the Latvarians need their help. Johnny is stunned. Space. Like, outer space. Yep. The room is silent. Johnny looks to Sue. She nods her head. Johnny tells Reed that he must see the irony of this. He tells him that this is exactly what happened with Victor. Reed asked for his help, and he left everything behind to do so, and now Victor's dead. Johnny tells him that he can't do it. There's more than just him now. He has Alicia. He has the baby. What Reed's asking Johnny to do is risk it all, and he just won't. You can't just grab people and gamble their lives and their choices away, Reed. Reed is silent with no answer, no response. Johnny asks him where Valeria and Franklin are. On this planet, are they fighting for them? For him? Did he ever consider that? Susan tells her brother to calm down. 
They aren't going to Zenla to fight, but to help. Johnny tells Susan that Reed is bringing her to help. He's bringing him and Ben to fight. Johnny has too much to lose, and that's why he's out. Yes, I quoted Shark Tank. (laughs) Alicia comes in, asking if she may interrupt. She grabs onto Johnny's hand softly. She directs his hand, or his head, to her stomach. Alicia tells her husband that their child is safe right now. Johnny is worrying over a future that's not there yet, a future that could easily turn into something else. Johnny's wife caresses his face, feeling every part, his cheeks, his nose, his brow. She tells him that he doesn't need to prove anything. He is more man than he gives himself credit for. Alicia tells Johnny that he has to go. He's a superhero, and there's no running from that. Storm gets up, facing his wife, looking into her glazed eyes. He whispers, okay, and she, they kiss, give a little kiss. Johnny turns to Reed, asking what the plan is. Reed tells him that they leave at dawn. It's 1 a.m. Everyone is asleep, except for Ben Grimm. He's on the porch, looking to the stars, the night sky in Latveria. And it's littered with glowing lights, not having to deal with light pollution. He's approached by Alicia, who likes to come out here when she can't sleep also. Ben asks her what she does since she can't see the view. She tells him that the sound of wind pushing grass and crickets makes up for it. Alicia was blind since birth. She doesn't mind. Ben says that her imagination is probably more exciting than what's actually going on. She chuckles. The two are quiet for a moment until Alicia asks Ben if he's sick. Grim is surprised. How'd she know? She tells her that it was through Susan's voice. It sounds sad. Years ago, Alicia was sick. Nothing too bad, but Johnny was worried to death, and she could hear it in his voice. Ben compliments her observation skills. He doesn't know what's going on with him, but it can't be good. Coughing up blood a bunch of times throughout the day encourages someone to make every moment count. Alicia asks if his wife knows. She's heard his cough every once in a while, but she doesn't know the realities of it. She has so much going on, he doesn't want to add more weight. Ben tells her that they'll take care of Johnny. Johnny's wife smiles, and they continue to enjoy the view. The next morning, Reed, Sue, Ben, and Johnny exit the home. Before he's gone, Johnny kisses Alicia and goes down to her stomach, kissing it. He whispers, I'll be back soon, Nathan. He, he, along with the rest of the Fantastic Four, leave. Their town car arrives at the Latvarian hangar. The sun is just rising, shining through the giant door where the modded Fantastic Car 2 is. Reed, Sue, Ben, and Johnny are suited up in their blue radiation suits. They enter the ship, getting into their positions in the main hall. Ben has the con, captaining the ship. Johnny asks if he knows how to fly a spaceship, and Ben tells him that it shouldn't be too difficult. They do it all the time on Star Trek. Johnny does a small prayer. Oh, God. <laughs> From the command center, the engineers begin their countdown. Before it's too late, Johnny plugs into his, his iPod into the radio. Blasting over the Latvian PA system is the Beastie Boys intergalactic. Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off. The fantastic car shoots up as fast as it can. The crew screams except for Reed, who's focused on their engine's stability. On the wheel, Ben fights wind resistance, asking why the old girl flies different. Reed tells her that the extra weight for the space tech was added. They struggle through the atmosphere, but eventually they make it out of orbit. 
thanks to for- the force field by Sue, protecting them from all the damage. Johnny looks back to the earth, asking if it's normal to throw up while crapping yourself. Reed, t- <laughs> Reed tells him to hold it because they're not out of the woods yet. Dialing knobs and reversing the polarity, they're ready to make four space jumps. And for those who don't know what the space jumps are, you see it in Guardians Volume 2, you see it in Avengers Endgame, it's that. Johnny asks, what the hell is that? It's basically a portable wormhole. The Fantastic Four strap in, their engines are ready, and Ben hits it. They make it through the first jump, passing a part of the universe that's made up of completely inverted colors. The second jump pushes their ship through the middle of a giant space battle. Lasers everywhere, hitting, missing, and ships knocking into them, but they escape. The third jump lands them in a part of space where they see the outline of a giant being. The skin is made of infinite stars and galaxies within. It's eternal. The fourth jump lands them near a moon. Johnny calls for a timeout. Just wait wait a second. The rest agree, taking a couple of deep breaths and a minute to process the madness of space. Johnny compliments Reed, telling him that he's got balls of steel for going through that on a regular basis. (laughs) In the distance, Reed points to their destination. Zen Law a planet with three moons, a burgundy atmosphere, and the sun that's not so different from their own. Sue asks Reed if those are a group of asteroids in the distance, headed right towards them. He takes a good look and realizes what they are. In the one word he says, brood. What the hell are brood? Richards tells them that the brood are a local reptilian colony. They travel through space, consuming whatever they deem defenseless. They basically are space termites. He tells Ben to move forward to the ship while he and Johnny man their turrets. Sue will focus on the shielding of the ship. Ben flies fast, but not fast enough. The fantastic car are caught up by thousands of brood. Reed and Johnny shoot as many as they can, and Sue does her best with defense. Their attacks are barely effective. The ship's engines are damaged by the beasts. So they're dead in the water. Or the dead dead in space, basically. Sue can barely hold on, and the turrets aren't doing it. What are they going to do? Suddenly, a giant laser blast hits major parts of the brood horde. From the side, a barrage of lasers from the starships come. And the ships are shaped like stars, painted yellow. Ben asks who these guys are, and Reed tells him that they're the local authorities that he mentioned. He says, I'd like to introduce you to the Nova Corps. Whoa! (laughs) The brooders shoot away and chased off by Nova Corps ships. The Fantastic Four are radioed by the troops leader, Roman Day, played by John C. Riley. No way. The fantastic far, the fantastic fart, the, the fantastic car is brought into the Nova Corps' command ship. In the hangar, Roman meets Reed and his team. The two are familiar with each other, making it very clear that Reed's relationship with the Novas are, is strained. Reed introduces his team as the people who will save Zen Law, but Roman is skeptical. The Novas don't police the galaxy just so mad scientists can make a greater mess. He gives the superheroes one week to figure out how to stop the Annihilus virus before they bomb the planet. Roman isn't letting this thing spread throughout the galaxy. There's just no way. The team is shuttled over to the surface of Zenla in a small city called Noran Khan, named after the founder of the planet. 
The metropolitan area is walled off from the rest of the planet. There were thousands of other places like Noran Khan, but they were overrun by the virus. This is the last piece of civilization left. The citizens of the city look to this ship and their excitement is present. Many of the Xenians are masked with respirators, not wanting to catch the illness. Platoons of soldiers march through the streets, keeping an eye out and scanning civilians, making sure they're not infected. After landing, the Fantastic Four come out to a population of Xenians bowing, praising, and hugging their new survivor, or survivors' saviors. Some even recognize Reed, lifting him as their hero. Ben notices it, saying that even millions of miles from home, Reed is people's favorite. Sue chuckles. Johnny notices the odd ar architecture of the city. It's weird. Some parts of the buildings are sharp. Others look like bone, almost like body parts. Of the One of the Xenians tell him that millennia, millennia ago, having trouble speaking, millennia ago, there was a great celestial war on Zenla. Different giants of immense power fell on the planet, and their remains stayed ever since. When Reed came to help their people, he used the fallen armor of these giants, of these celestials, to build their homes, technology, and the Great Wall. John responds, That's disgusting. The citizens guide Reed and his family to his home. On the outer parts of Noran Khan is Reed's village. There, he and the rest of the front porch are a little shack. Reed knocks on the front door, and the door opens, revealing Valeria Richards, who is now in her early 20s. She hugs Reed so tight that his skin, being stretchy, gets indentations. Reed, Reed shows behind him the rest of Valeria's family. The daughter is ecstatic, rushing to hug Sue. She believe or she's relieved that they made the trip over she comments on her uncle ben and johnny's beards she says are you guys competing or is this just getting old the the two look at each other almost as if they were competing entering the village behind the reunited family are patrol officers of khan's great wall with weapons in their hands and green jack kirby inspired armor are the rest of richard's family it's Franklin Richards, stunned to see his dad, mom, and uncles. He asks, so, you didn't happen to bring any presents back from home? Ben mentions how he's still a smartass. The kids are reunited with their kin. The world's first family is together. Valeria mentions that there's something she wants, or someone she wants to introduce them all to. In the group that Franklin came with is another soldier, but he's special to Val. It's her husband. Susan and the rest look to Reed, asking why he didn't mention that Val was married. He answers, we weren't just saving the universe out here, you know. Her husband is a young Zenian named Norrin Rad. He's tall as Reed with a bald head and piercing but soft yellow eyes. He shakes the hand of Sue, Ben, and Johnny, glad to meet them finally. If only it were under different circumstances. Norn and Valeria seem to be a bit distant from each other, though. Susan starts to tear up, tear up. She's like, what? Ben notices this, comforting her. She tells them how she's never been so proud. It's beautiful what they've done. They got to live a life of their own. Reed comes to her, saying that they're still living and that they have a chance to help. Norn agrees, mentioning that since everyone is together, they can finally act instead of continue to plan the future of their people. He says that tomorrow morning they will gather 
with Zenla's council. Later that night, everyone is in the quarters, resting up. It's easy to sleep on this planet. The silence of alien gusts of wind are easy to drift away with. In their room, Ben readies for bed as Sue is sit- sitting on the edge, looking out of her window to s- a whole set of completely different constellations. There are galaxies, planets, stars, completely different but comforting. Ben asks how his wife is doing, and Susan responds, I'm on a different planet, but that's not the stressing part. I have a role. These people are depending on me. If I fail, more will die. Ben assures her that she won't. That's not what they do. Susan asks Reed uh, why Reed had to give her this burden, to run the school, to protect these people. It's all so much. Who could do this? Ben kneels in front of Susan. He grins at her, saying that she could. Reed knows how much she cares about people, humanity, non-humanity. No one else fits this job description but her. Susan feels comforted, giving Ben a kiss. She asks how he's been feeling, and he tells her that a road trip to the other side of the space kicks the common colt's ass. She, la- she laughs, they go to bed, and the night ends. The next morning, the Council of Zenla is assembled. In a giant hall with different tapestries and moving walls with art of the planet's history, at the head are seven seats with five elders. The main speaker of the council is uh, council member Zeta. There are Xenians who lived through the celestial wars, the storms of the tribunal, and now the Annihilus wave. Approaching the council are Reed and Norin. Joining Reed is Susan, introduced to the leaders of the people as the person who will find the cure for this pandemic. The elders ask Norn Rad if the presence of Susan Storm has changed his position on their people's fate. Rad answers no. He still believes that the council should approve his motion to move their people to a different uninhabited planet. Norn appreciates Susan's services, but the main priority should be to continue securing what is already. He's discovered a neighboring planet called Corbin. They could start over as a species. Reed asks, and what of those we'd be leaving here? Norn calls them the infected, but Reed refers to them as their friends and neighbors. What of them? Norn sympathizes with him more than Reed might believe right now. He never wanted a virus. He never wanted to have to put down those he grew up with, but it happened. Now, there are rumors amongst the people that this virus was created as a bioweapon before their walls went up. Think about that, Reed. Someone who was a former Xenian might have started this to decrease our population, and it's been working. He won't put any more of his kin at risk. Reed chimes in, saying, no, you won't. Others will. The Nova Corps has given them one week to save the people. Norn tells him he's wrong. The Novas told him that their time is running out. Their warships are aimed right at their heads, and they're going to fire regardless if Xenians are still there or not. Reed asks Norn, Okay, so say we leave the planet and make Corbin our new home. We left Zenla and all the, as you call them, infected behind to be blasted away. What if later we find a cure that would have worked? What if we didn't spend our time wisely and we reacted in a way that led to something worse than our destruction, shame and fault? Reed begs the council to heed his words. He pleads to Zeta, 
This is still something in these people. He knows it. There's something there. Noren asks how he's so sure. And Richards responds, I've been a skeptic too, Noren. Believing only in cynicism once cost me nearly everything. It won't again. The room is quiet until Susan steps forward, admitting to the council that it may not be her place, but she must admit that she is just as frightened as them. However, she and the rest of their family didn't come all this way not to act. She's here to help and she won't fail. Reed looks to her with pride and Norrin looks in worry. Council member Zeta decrees that due to their limited amount of time, they will prepare ships and escape vessels for an emergency evacuation, but they will also assist Mrs. Storm with whatever her research needs. If they think they may be uh, more to the virus, then they'll have to get to work immediately. The three are dismissed, and as Reed and Sue head to the lab, Norrin pulls Reed to the side. He asks for assurance, wanting to know how, Sue, how good Sue is. Reed tells him that she's the best and that he won't leave he won't have to worry for much longer. He promises Norrin that their people will be saved and that they'll do it together. Norrin thanks his father-in-law and goes off to prepare supplies along with the shuttles. At the edge of the outer wall of Zenla sit Valeria and Johnny, both legs dangling, both captivated by the alien horizon. They see distant fields with trees of different colors being lit by binary suns. It's amazing for Johnny how something that looks so beautiful could harbor their potential doom while enjoying the view. Johnny asks how Valeria got hitched to Mork back there. Valeria told him that when her, Reed, and Valeria, or Franklin, excuse me, got to the planet, it was a mess. Norrin was the last of a royal society of Zenlaw and his family was taken by the virus. They went on a mission to save him, and when they met, something just clicked. It was almost as if he knew they were going to be his family from then on. They got closer and closer, realizing that their bond was stronger than anything they'd felt before, and they've been protecting each other ever since. Johnny tells her that he seems like a good kid. Valeria tells him that he's a good man, but he doesn't tell himself that. It's what made their marriage strange lately. Norrin has lost so much, more than anyone should be able to handle. She says, lately, I think he's looked at me as more as someone at risk than his wife. Johnny relates, telling her that he felt the same when he met Alicia. Valeria freaks out to Johnny's bombshell. You're married? Johnny chuckles, adding, and with a kid on the way. Valeria hugs Johnny so quick and tight that the two almost fall off the wall. Johnny pulls out the picture of Alicia and an ultrasound of his son. Val tells Johnny that she can't wait to meet Alicia and her new cousin. Maybe in Thanksgiving? Johnny tells her that what she and Norn are going through will pass. And, he has, and as he points to the picture of his son, there's always something ahead. From behind, Ben adds, yeah, we got another Hellraiser on the way. Passing Johnny and Valeria on the top of the wall are Ben and Franklin. The two are with a patrol of soldiers keeping watch, making sure none of the infected break through the wall. Well, Franklin asks Ben if he's sure he doesn't want a rifle. And Ben tells him that when you're basically a walking, talking boulder, you don't really need to pack heat. 
Ben asks the kid how long he's been helping with security. Franklin's been on top of it pretty much since the beginning, coming up with a new shielding tech and state-of-the-art weaponry. The wall is equipped with rifles all over. Lately, it's been difficult fending off infected since it seems that the number of them keep growing and growing. No one knows how. Where are these people coming from? Ben tells him that he's been doing a great job keeping it all together and protecting his sister. Franklin thanks him, saying that it means a lot coming from him. He always gave Ben a hard time because uh, secretly he admires Ben. He's strong. He's confident. He's caring. Everything that these people are trying to be. He's someone that they can look up to. Ben thanks the kid, heading to the other side of the wall to cover more ground. Franklin notices that as Ben walks away, a gray piece of his shell has been shedded off. It's on the, it fell off his skin on the ground and he picks it up and immediately worries. Quickly, he puts it in his pocket. In Reed's lab, there he is with Susan, who's directing worksmen with equipment, telling them where it should be placed and what it's for. Reed is notified of a message and goes to the side, uh, off to the side. He looks to his advanced transponder with a message from Franklin. The message says, got something I think you should see. Along with the text is a picture of the shell from Ben's skin. Reed looks up, worried. Suze looks away from the lab being set up and comes to Reed, asking what's wrong. Richards tells her that he's not sure yet. He heads out, telling her that he has to go to his own laboratory to pick up equipment. He leaves and Suze notices him go. In his lab, Reed meets with Franklin, who hands him the shell from Ben. Reed asks where Ben is now, and Frank tells him that he's helping lead the wall patrol with uh, Valeria and Uncle Johnny. Using a holographic analyzer, Reed makes a 3D copy of the shell. He lifts it up, zooming into the model, noticing erosion from the inside. The rock doesn't have enough iron, which is why the color is faded from its natural orange to a stone gray. It's also not as dense as before. The rock's structure is slowly collapsing, becoming fragile. Franklin only says, don't tell me. It's an obvious conclusion. Ben Grimm is dying. Franklin freaks out. How did this happen? What is happening to him? Reed pulls the model closer, noticing a hint of gamma radiation. The level is low, but because of the amount of time that's passed, Franklin asks, a time since what? The experiment from years ago, the day that Reed turned Susan, Ben, Johnny, and himself into what they are. It's a form of cancer. They're quiet, and Franklin asks if they all have it, but Reed doesn't think so. Their powers are inherent. They activate them. The radiation has meshed with their DNA and RNA. But with Ben, it's almost as if the rocky exterior was a negative random symptom of the radiation, like a red flag. Who knows? Maybe all four of them could have looked like Ben all these years, but they were lucky. They never did. If they had it, they would have had signs by this point. They have to find a cure. From behind the two, a voice can be heard. There's not enough time, is there? Reed and Frank look behind immediately. Appearing in front of them is Sue. Coming out of her invisibility with tears endless, she tells them that they don't have the time or resources to find a cure for both the infected and her husband. 
Reed looks down, ashamed. Franklin asks, why not? Why can't they save everyone? Reed tells him that the four of them got their powers from exposure to the negative zone. When he fought the Maker in Second Chance, that dimension was destroyed. They wouldn't have any of the same radiation to test, so they wouldn't even know where to start. Sue asks him how he could do this to her. Make a choice between a world of people or the man she loves. Sue points her finger at Reed, damning him. Fine, I'll save your little world. Not for you, but because it's what he came here to do. I followed him. She storms out and leaving both Richards behind. Franklin asks his dad if he's okay. Reed tells him to go see if Nora needs anything. Franklin leaves the lab and Reed is alone. Up at the top of the wall, the two suns are setting. Guards are still sentried on a close lookout for any activity. Ben stands there with Johnny. Johnny tells him that he's never seen anything quite like this. He takes a photo on his phone saying that he can't wait to show Alicia. Ben smiles, telling his brother-in-law that moments like these are good to share with someone you love. Approaching Ben and Johnny is Reed. His head hangs and his eyes are red. Johnny asks, what's wrong? What happened? All Reed can, all Reed can say is, I'm sorry, Ben. Ben is handed the shell that fell off. Ben looks to Reed, not mad or worried, but asking where Sue is. In the workshop, all the equipment is set up, ready for Sue's testing. She sits there still, looking at an empty surgery table. Her obsession instruments are to the side. Her face is red, still with hanging tears. Ben enters the room behind her, asking if she's all right. Quickly, Sue looks away, turning her head invisible so that Ben can't see what she calls a mess. He comes up behind her, putting his giant hand on her shoulder, guiding her face towards him. Her face appears saddened. She tells Grimm that she blames Reed, but Ben asks if he doesn't, why should she? This is no one's fault. She, Sue breaks down right in front of him, begging for his life. She doesn't want to lose her best friend. He chuckles. Out of everything they've been through together, she thinks that this is going to get rid of him. Sue's not getting rid of him that easy. He makes her smile. Ben tells her to focus on the people they came to help. Once they get home, they'll figure him out. Deal? Sue agrees. They hug, tighter than ever before. And the night ends. It's the next morning. And in their home, Norn wakes up to see, in bed, Valeria next to him. But her eyes are wide open. She didn't sleep throughout the night because of what the news is of Ben. Norn comforts her, saying that they're going to figure out how to save him. He's going to be okay. Valeria says, that's not all I was thinking about, though. I was thinking about it if it had happened to us. At this moment, Norn is completely silent. Valeria reminds her husband that she knows exactly what's going on, th going through, what he's going through. Remember, Valeria's whole world was destroyed. After that, she didn't want to take the risk of loving again. Who would? But then again, she met someone who felt similarly, a strong, compassionate man who cared as much about life because he had lost so much. Valeria approaches Norrin, telling him she's noticed his distance. She sees that lately, Norrin hasn't wanted to take the same risk. But did he forget that the two of them are married? The two laugh and hug. Rad apologizes, but Val is just happy to have him back. Before going to their daily duties, duty, 
Norn tells Vel that to take the morning off of wall patrol, she would, or, uh, Val should be with Susan, helping her with surgery of the infected. She agrees, and they go off to the day. Later in the morning, Reed, Valeria, and Franklin are in their quarantined lab, wearing hazmat versions of the F4 suits, along with the, Sue. Excuse me. Franklin is equipped with a weapon, acting as security. In front of them is an infected corpse, the body of an old man who was infected 30 days ago but came back in two. The former zombie-like victim lies on the operation table. Sue asks Reed and Val as assistants to hand her operation tools. She starts with the autopsy. On top of the wall is Johnny and Ben. The two are playing a game of I Spy. Ben says, I spy with my little eye in abandoned city. Right over there. Johnny responds, no, no, that, that's not how you play. But Ben does see something else in the distance, flying in the air. It looks like a bird, but it's weird. He's never seen a bird like that. But his concentration is broken abruptly. The two are approached by a group of young Xenians. They hand Ben a bundle of flowers, alien, and with each petal, a different shade of orange. He smiles as they run off, giggling to each other. Norn catches up with the two, noting that his people have never seen anything like Ben. Usually they'd be afraid, but he brings a calming presence. Norn hands the two some refreshments. Their planet's equivalent to coffee. Johnny thanks him, taking a sip. He immediately asks if it's supposed to be ice cold. Norn answers that Valeria assured him that it was an Earth norm. Ice blended? Johnny and Ben look it to each other. Grim hands him a cup to Storm, and he heats them both with his palms. Ben looks back at the distance where he saw that bird, but nothing is there now. Back in the lab, Sue widens her incision in the corpse's chest. She notes that the internal organs found inside are in a reversed order compared to humans. The heart is placed on the opposite side, a different rib count, and no kidneys. For Xenians, they're not needed. She sees how the virus infects the whole body. It spreads throughout different areas and nerves, sticking to them like glue. She decides that she needs to look to the brain to see how the virus controls the whole body. Sue is handed an advanced saw and makes her incision, uncapping the Xenian's brain. It's, it's freaking weird, man. Franklin reacts, saying that it's nasty. The brain is almost completely black, with few green veins strapped across it. Sue pokes, prods, seeing if it's reactive. It seems to be dead. She pulls out one of the veins, placing it into a sample cup, catching the alien's pus dripping out. Yeah. She places it under a microscope, seeing how the cells are active on a very minimal level. She plucks a strand of her hair from her head, setting it next to the example. Quickly, the virus takes the hair, swallowing it, Franklin asks her what she's trying to do. They already know that the virus attaches itself to living tissue. Sue tells him to wait for it. The four of them look back to the sample and see something unbelievable. Slowly, the little sample moves quickly, reactionary. It fizzles and slowly implodes. It's truly dead. Franklin and Valeria say at the same time, no way. Reed asks Sue what happened. And she tells him that she had a theory about the virus. For years, she'd looked into the files of the experiment Reed held years ago, giving them the powers, the, the one that gave them their abilities. 
key elements that made up the multi-dimensional energy back then are opposite to those that make up the annihilation virus. She thought, what would happen if they had met in a physical experiment? Franklin freaks out. So you didn't know what would happen. It could have easily just exploded on our faces instead of worked out like you hoped. Sue tells him that they're scientists. Their job is to experiment. Franklin calls her a mad scientist. Valeria asks what can be done. How can they manufacture a cure? Sue wants to get blood samples from herself, Reed, and Johnny and run some tests on available subjects. Obviously going to keep Ben away since he needs all the blood he can get. And his may even lead to something worse. You never know. Laughter can be heard from behind the four in a deathly voice with cackles that sound hellish. Lifting himself up is the corpse of the old man with his brain exposed. It spits out a few words telling them that they're fools to think they can fight this horde. Franklin says, for the record, I didn't know they could talk. Reed says they're becoming more sentient. He tries communicating with the old man, saying that if he can remember basic vocabulary, chances are he can remember his humanity. They have a chance to save him and many more like him. The old man laughs at Reed, saying that they don't want to be saved. They want more. Annihilus demands more. Reed's had a, or Franklin has had enough and aims his rifle at the monster, blasting at him. He can, he, but he can't seem to hit it. The old man is more agile than they thought. He runs towards the four, but Reed quickly reaches his 10-foot arm and grasps onto him with a 12-foot wide hand. The infected is disabled. The old man struggles trying to get out of Reed's hand. His giant freak, it's like the room, the size of my room. Franklin once again aims, but is stopped by Reed from shooting. He asks the old man who this Annihilus is. Is he the one who created the virus? The old man laughs, taunting Reed. He whispers, He's everywhere, near you, away, and do you barely notice, Richards? At this moment, Reed is freaked out, and he tells Val and Franklin to ready a quarantine cell for their guest. The infected man tells them that he won't be staying, and at that moment, a purple gas escapes from his mouth. Reed quickly lets go. More and more gas starts to pour out of the corpse. The old man laughs until his final breath. Suddenly, the infected man explodes and quickly. Reed gathers with Sue and the kids. Sue quickly casts a force field, saving them, but the explosion is too strong. It pushes through the walls and throughout the building. The blast collapses through the stories, hitting the middle of the city. Different citizens run for their lives, mothers leading their children away, some people inhaling the gas, becoming infected. It's chaotic. At the wall, Ben and Johnny and Norrin hear this. The sound of rioting and smaller explosions slowly follow. Norrin says that they have to get down there. Immediately, the wall is overrun with infected. They do their best to fight it off. Ben knocks over 20, smashing them. Johnny flames on and gets an aerial advantage by flying above the hordes. They tell Norrin to go into town and make sure Val and the others are safe. He takes a platoon of soldiers with him. At the center of the outbreak, Emerging from the rubble is Reed, helping Sue to her feet, and Franklin shooting away newly infected, protecting Valeria. Sue looks up to the gas, still in the air, spreading. She surrounds as much as she can with the force field, like grasping it, catching it before it spreads. Reed and Franklin protect her, while Valeria shows people to safety. Norn runs with his platoon to the action. 
he sees different citizens being attacked and orders his soldiers to help. Half of them are run up by infected, but Norrin has to keep moving. At the top of the wall, Ben continues to smash on infected. He picks some up and throws them as fast as they can. They end up flying miles away. One of the monsters noticed this and looks up to Johnny, still flying above them. Part of the hive mind, some members of the horde gather together. As a group, they throw zombies up in the air, aimed for the human torch. Johnny yells, holy shit! He flies out of the way, blasting some down. Sarcastically, he thanks Grimm for making this bodyguard thing easier. Back at the center, Susan continues to struggle with holding the gas in place. She tells them that she needs to release it somewhere. Reed suggests that maybe if they store it, they could reverse engineer the gas, mixing it with their DNA. Maybe this could be the answer to Akira. Sue thinks that sounds great, but how will they store it? Reed asks for five minutes and tells Franklin to protect his mother. Reed rushes off to his lab. Franklin knocks down charging infected with the butt of his rifle. Sue's nose starts to bleed. Nearby, Valeria continues to guide people to safety. Suddenly, Norrin catches up to her, making sure that she's okay. The two have to figure out a way to keep the newly infected away from the civilians. They both look around, and Norrin notices something. One of the attacked buildings, there sticks out a flat platform from the side. It looks stable enough for Norrin to climb on. He tells his wife that he'll go climb up there, shout from the platoon and grab the monster's attention so that she can make her way to escape with the people. Valeria looks at him like he's crazy, saying, you're going to go up there on that makeshift surfboard. Norrin looks at her for a moment and he says, I I don't know what a surfboard is, but it'll work. (laughs) He kisses her and goes off. In his element, Reed takes apart his lab equipment, or at least what's left. He engineers a type of vacuum using materials from his hazard suit to use uh, for um, to his unused engines. It's pretty crappy, but the device should work, but well enough. He rushes out with a tube in his hand and the giant device on his back. It's basically a space proton pack from Ghostbusters. Just think of it that way. Above the, <laughs> above the chaos stands Norrin. He's on the platform, and the moment is powerful. He feels more than confident on the top of the board. He yells to the horde who are trying to push through a blockade to Valeria and his people. The monsters look to him, seeing up the building, easy prey. The horde moves towards him, climbing up on top of each other, making their way up to the stories, uh, making up you know (laughs) Norrin looks to his fallen people and whispers I'm sorry he looks to the back leg and pushes it against the loose part of the structure the board he's on was one of the last pieces of the skyscraper that was keeping it stable he pushes it against it hard breaking off the piece and rides down a wave of the infected clumps chasing him he makes his way down near where Valeria and the survivors are huddled up. The building crashes down atop the infected horde that tried to snatch Norrin, killing them. The dust from the collapsed building rushes throughout the streets, and Norrin covers Valeria as other Xenians cover each other. The dust settles, and the image is just horrid and dreadful. A crashed building bearing so many Norrin swore to protect. Norrin, his head hangs, With tears in his eyes, he drops to his knees, letting go of the new board. Valeria holds him. 
at the wall, the infected attacking Ben and Johnny notice the destruction of the other infected. Slowly, a word is heard throughout the hive mind. Retreat. They fall back, jumping the wall and escaping. Ben is joined by Johnny, who asks, what the hell just happened? Did we win? Ben tells him that he doesn't think so. No army does that much damage without finishing the job. In the distance, Ben sees different infected rushing away, retreating. But it looks as though they are running towards something. He sees the flying figure from earlier floating above the infected, maybe a mile away. The figure has wings. It's green and purple and has a monstrous face. He says, holy crap. In the air, the gas is still captured by Susan. She's holding it for as long as she can, but she keeps, she's close to keeling over. Reed comes back to her and Franklin with the vacuum. He tells her to let go and she does. Sue falls from the ground or to the ground and Franklin quickly comes to her aid. Reed aims with his device at the gas quickly. He sucks in every last molecule. The air is clean again and no trace of the gas is found. Ghostbusters! Who are you going to call? Reed Richards. <laughs> Slowly, the survivors of this attack gather near the destruction of the tower. Near Norin and Valeria, the civilians are helping each other up. Reed and Franklin help Susan move and see Ben approach alongside Johnny. Ben takes over, picking up and holding his wife, who is lightheaded. Surviving members of the council make their way to the other survivors. Reed looks to Valeria's wounds, asking if she's okay. Before she can answer, Norn gets up, confronting Reed, head on. He screams at him, saying that none of them are okay. They could have averted this, all this destruction. Reed tells him that they still have a shot. They captured the gas, so they think they can synthesize a cure. Before he can finish the sentence, Norn punches Reed in the face. Richards ends up on the ground, and Norn is restrained. He tells his father-in-law that they are leaving the planet immediately. Reed begs Rad, but his mind is made up. He actually wants to save his people. Reed asks what Norn is implying, and the Zenian tells him that he can't build he can't help build their home just so that he can continue to tear it down, making the people more dependent on him. It's a sick game and he's had enough of it, knowing that the rest of his people have. Norn orders the surviving civilians to go home and pack up. They're getting ready, and they're going to contact the Nova Corps so that they can blow this place to hell. Nor before Norn leaves the area, Reed tells him that he's sorry. Norn looks back to him, then points at the building he brought down with hundreds and hundreds of his brothers and sisters buried underneath. He says, that's on you. Norn reaches out for Valeria's hand, and the daughter looks to Reed. Richards nods to his daughter, saying that he should go with him, or she should go with him. He's right, and Norn needs her. Valeria goes off with him and the rest of their people. Johnny comes up to Reed and helps him to his feet. He asks what they're going to do now, and Reed tells him that they save the rest of the day. Johnny nods and goes off with Ben, still holding Susan in his arms. Sue, the weak, manages to see Reed's head fall down, ashamed. Franklin comes up to his father, asking what they're going to do with the gas. Should they just still try to develop a cure? Reed looks at his son. And then all around, abandoned buildings, tons of rubble on the alien streets, all surrounded by regret. He tells Franklin that their research is over, and he grabs the gas canister on the ground. He puts his arm over Franklin's shoulder and leads him away. Franklin looks back to the canister 
as they leave it laying there on the ground. Hours later, the remaining civilians are chaperoned to the escape vessels. Xenians still are in shock and are being helped to by each other aboard. Ben enters a pod and lays Sue down on a bench so that she can rest. He goes out to help the others, still trying to get on the vessels. Susan is approached by Franklin, who whispers in his mom's ear. Her lies lighten up as she looks back to her son, responding, Are you serious? Finally, the escape vessels, fitting 500 people, fly off. They escape the boarded city of Norn Khan. Some Zenians cry, some laugh, and are relieved. Johnny distracts some of the kids with fire tricks. Ben helps pilot one of the crafts. Valeria's head rests on Norrin's shoulders, who looks to the stars ahead. Franklin and Sue look at each other, and they nod. Reed watches as they leave Zenla, his new and now old home. Passing through Zenla's atmosphere, the vessels are escorted by Nova squads to their command ship. The ship lands in the space hangar, and the Zenians are met by Romande. All right, guys, I promise you trip to the planet Corbin is going to be great. Don't think of this as one of the most targeted and lethal ships in the galaxy, but as a cruise, he says. The tired Zenians just look at him, and the awkward moment finally ends up. Uh, your quarters are right down the hall to the left, he says. Later, Susan walks through the halls of the Nova ship, seeing the Xenians and their quarters holding each other and tucking in their children. In the sick bays, a majority of civilians who escaped are being treated by Nova medical staff, some in shock, others with respirators, all of them being double-checked to see if they're infected with annihilus. Susan peeks inside another room where Ben and Johnny are playing cards with Roman Day and other Novas. Ben cheers. Ah, full house. He lays a strong hand down on the table, showing it off. Day tells him, so if Blackjack is the other one, do I actually hit you in this game? Johnny looks at him and like he's an idiot, saying, you hit in Blackjack. This is poker. Roman looks to Ben's size and says, I'm not hitting him. Susan moves past the room. In his quarters, Reed is isolated. He lays on his bed with eyes red and drowned out. Above him is a giant window, giving him a look at the millions of stars in the distance. He asks himself, why did I do this? He hears at the door of his room, Susan's voice, we're not done yet. Quickly, Reed lifts, sits up, wiping his face and nose. He asks her, what does he mean? What does she mean? He promised himself that he would never fail again with her, the family, and these people. They were counting on him, and Norrin was right. He got up in his own self-righteousness. Reed compares him to his counterpart from Second Chance, the Maker. What if he's not so different from his other self, an egomaniac who seeks to control everything? Susan comes to him, assuring that he's not that version of Reed. Know how? Because he came to them. She lifts up uh, her left hand, and as if she was holding something, but nothing seems to be there. Quickly, it's revealed that Susan has the gas canister that Reed left back on the planet. Reed is astonished. Why would she bring it here with them? Susan tells him that it's why he brought her to figure out a way to save these people. And there are still plenty on Zen Law. Reed is surprised, asking if Susan is still mad at him about Ben. 
She tells him that she's still mad, but maybe after they cure the Xenians, they can rework the vaccine to help Ben's cancer. Reed is inspired, but asks how they'll test it. And at that moment, council member Zeta comes in, saying that she will be a test subject. She sneaked out of the infirmary, following Susan through the ship. Once they synthesize a cure, she's ready to help in any way that she can. Sue asks if he's ready to get ready. Ugh, God, this is tough, man. I bet. Uh, <laughs> Susan asks it, Reed if he's ready to get back to work. Reed responds, I thought you'd never ask. First step, <laughs> they have to figure out when the Nova Corps plans on sending missiles all over Zenla. Susan turns invisible, sneaking into the command hub where Roman Day notifies his soldiers that in 12 hours, they're going to gather 12 other command ships and destroy Zenla. One of the soldiers asks, why, they, why, why are we going to wait that long? Roman yells, shut up, Phil. That's how long it takes for them to get here. Second step, Susan takes blood samples from herself, Reed, and Johnny. Ben asks if he's sure that he can't do anything. And she tells him that the rest of their, for their next step. Susan examines the blood, extracting the multiverse radiation from the DNA, administering it into some gas particles. They swerve and mix, changing from a chemical with a green hue to a purple one. Reed and Sue are isolated in a closed quarantine zone. Outside of the lab, Ben and Johnny guard the doors, keeping people away. In the lab, Council Member Zeta is on the table, and they administer the vaccine. Reed asks how long the medicine could take to work. Sue isn't terribly sure. Outside, a Nova officer approaches Ben and Johnny, asking what they're doing. Johnny tells him that they're in line for the bathroom. And Ben looks at him like, are you stupid? Like The Nova officer tells him that that door doesn't lead to a bathroom. And the two superheroes look at each other and worry. The officer pulls out his radio to contact his higher-ups. And immediately, Ben grabs him and throws him to the ground, knocking him out. Ben asks Johnny why he thought the bathroom line would... Why would that work? It never works. Ben tells Johnny to hide the soldier's body in a nearby closet. Back in the lab, the councilwoman lays still on the table. Still, but she's short of breath. Her brow is filled with sweat, and she asks Susan if she's going to die. Susan promises her that she won't. Her body shakes, for the vaccine is taking effect. Reed extends and wraps his arms around Zeta's body and the table, keeping her stable. Sue quickly inserts a stimulant into the councilwoman to keep her vitals stable enough Zeta's eyes are bloodshot and her mouth opens, letting out the virus gas. But this time it's different and distilled. Some black liquid pours out of the sides of her mouth, almost like it's alive and trying to escape. Sue has a lab computer analyzer and Zeta is effectively losing the virus. Reed unwraps his arms from around Zeta and looks at the gas, or the gas as it disperses. The black liquid is now dead. And he smiles. Relieved, he whispers, it worked. Susan tells him that they did it. Now they have to do, go back to the planet and administer this gas. Reed asks how quickly they can formulate it, com- a compliment to the anti-annihilus vaccine. And she tells him that it may take an hour considering her resources and not how much they need. Reed notices that they have seven hours left until the Nova Corps blasts the planet away. He tells her to synthesize as much as she can. 
and he'll convince Norin and Romande that they need to go back to Zenla. She agrees, and they break. In the control hub of the ship, Reed is gathered with Norin, Ben, Johnny, Franklin, Valeria, and Zeta, and Romande. He explains to them all that they found the cure, and Zeta is the proof that it works. They have to go back to Zenla immediately and administer his gas. Norin tells him that it's out of the question. Reed understands that Norin is angry at him for putting their people at risk, but this time it's different. They actually have a cure. Norin tells Reed that it doesn't matter. He's not putting any more of his people at risk, especially after the horror they witnessed down there. Turning his ship around is out of the question. Reed thinks about it and says, fine, then just send us four. Reed tells them that Sue, Johnny, Ben, and himself will go down to the planet and administer the gas. They're the expendable ones, so there won't be any more risk towards Norn's rescued. Reed will contact Roman once the cure starts working, and if they fail, then the planet will be destroyed anyway. Norn asks Reed if he expects that this will this sacrifice will make up for what he did. The room is silent. Richards looks to his son-in-law and tells him that his whole life has consisted of failure. He's human. Years ago, he failed his old friend Victor, and he could give he would give himself so that Victor might live. He'd do it in a heartbeat. But all Reed can do here is to fix what's broken now. Johnny stands aside Reed, telling him that he's with him. Reed tells Johnny, who tells him that they'll make one hell of a story for the fam back home. Valeria offers her help, but Johnny tells her that she needs to stay on the ship with Norrin. He says, trust me, I'd rather be at home with Alicia and the baby instead of this shit. He needs you more than you know. Valeria is in tears, saying that they're being sent down there to die. Johnny wipes his niece's net wet cheeks, saying, we're not going down to die. We're going to win. He smiles at her, and she hugs tighter than thought possible. Quickly, Franklin offers his help to protect the four of his family. But Ben pats him on the back, telling him that he and Uncle Johnny got security covered. Franklin asks, you're, si- you're sick, Uncle B. Who's going to watch your back? Ben tells him that the other three superheroes will. It's kind of in the job description. Norn walks up to Reed. They're face to face, mano a mano. Norn extends his hand, and the two shake. Reed tells him, all for one, Norn. Norn smirks, but quickly asks, one what? Off to the side, Roman is tearing up. I gotta call my wife. I've been out here too long, he says. Reed comes to Roman, telling him that if they give him until the 12 other Nova ships uh, come, they'll save the planet. Day tells him, you have six hours, now go. The Fantastic Four collect their gear, suit up, and the space doors open. She pulls, Sue pulls Ben to the side as Reed and Johnny take multiple gas canisters to the ship. She tells her that uh, she might be able to use this gas for his illness. After they save Zinla, she'll need more time with it, but she's confident that she'll have a cure for him. Ben asks if she's happy that she came out here after all, and she grins at him, saying that she's glad she followed him. Ben tells her, remember, you got it under your belt, sweetheart. The couple catches up to their ship. In the cockpit, Ben pilots as the other three are strapped in. The craft can fit 500 people, which isn't the amount of down on Zenla, but once they cure them all, they can make double trips. 
their craft lifts up and the command center uh, from the command center, Valeria in the arms of Norn watches next to Franklin, Zeta and Roman Dame. The hangar doors open and they zoom out, rushing back to the planet. The ship enters Zenla's upper atmosphere. They look down at the city of Noran Khan. The walls surrounding it are barely standing up. Different areas are completely destroyed, and it's populated with hundreds of thousands of infected by Annihilus. Reed says that they have to work quickly since Ben said that he saw one of them flying. Ben tells Reed that he thinks that the flying thing might be the source. Annihilus himself, since the hordes seemed like they worshipped him. Reed tells him to keep an eye out. He, Susan, head to the the cargo area where they disperse the gas. The gas is ready, and they tell Ben to release the cure. Dispersed amongst the populace of Norncon, the infected below looks up. Some fall, others run. Above, Reed and Sue tell Ben to keep the the ship steady, for they need to see what happens. While piloting, Ben sees in the distance a swarm headed towards them. It's those damn brood again. Johnny gets up, seeing hundreds coming for them. He tells Ben that he'll distract them. Bugs are attracted to light, right? Ben calls him crazy, and Johnny opens the side door. Before he leaps out, he tells Ben to play some music, something to keep him calm. Ben asks, play what? And Johnny says, I don't know, something dope. Johnny jumps out of the into the air, flames on, and flies towards the brood swarm. Ben looks through Johnny's playlist. Crap. Crap. Really? Double crap. Mega crap. (laughs) Ah. Okay, kid. In the air, Johnny is blasting the brood and guiding them away from the ship. Suddenly, in his ear, plays Tom Sawyer by Rush. He smiles and continues to guide the flying roaches away. Down in the city, the plagued slowly are cured. The infection starts to die off in the city. Infected who, uh, infected who see this start to run away, knowing that if they touch these people, the disease will be eradicated. Reed cheers and hugs Susan. She did it. They go back to the cockpit to tell Ben to lower them, but Sue asks where Johnny is. Ben just says, brood. And they all look out to the window to see the human torch beating a swarm of them. Reed says that they have to fly to the city to collect the people who's cured. He radios Johnny, asking if he'll be okay out in the sky. And Johnny tells him that this is a workout, dude. Ben flies the three of them down to the city where they land. Ben coughs a bit. It's getting harder and harder to breathe for him. Susan is worried, but her husband assures her that he's fine, telling her to go. They'll deal with him later. Reed and Susan exit the the ship into the city. In their hazard suits, they scan the area's air quality and for any sign of the virus. It's all clean. They come to a couple of people's aid, checking their blood with their equipment. They're good. They're finally ready to go. The citizens are escorted to the ship, and it's like hundreds of people trying to get on the ship. Uh, So it's, it's, you know, a process. Sue continues to... lead them as reed radios the nova command ship telling them that their plan worked the people are cured on the other end norn hears this he sighs of relief and is having more faith in the sky johnny continues the to best the brood until they are stopped right where they fly and are squished midair johnny is freaked out the force is real he says but as the brood bodies fall It's revealed floating in the air next to Johnny is Annihilus himself. 
He slowly floats towards Johnny. Out of the monster's mouth, a disgusting voice drips, forming one word. Storm. Johnny freaks out and immediately blasts fire at Annihilus. The enemy blocks his attack and throws him down to the city below. In the city, Susan can hear Johnny scream as he flies straight towards them. She catches his body with a force field, protecting him, herself, and the citizen. Uh, citizens. And she asks him what happened, and Johnny is shaken, saying that it's him. It's Annihilus. Susan looks up in the air and sees the enemy floating above them all. The people panic and scream. Susan makes a force field tunnel so that they can make it all to the ship. They go single filed. The monster blasts a green beam of energy to Susan's force field, trying to break it. He repeats the one word, storm. Susan holds her ground for as long as she can. Reed notices this and uses one of the ship's turrets against Annihilus. This, along with the human torch blasting the monster, distracts it. It's a rough fight, and the people are going as fast as they can. Finally, the ship is filled with the number of cured from the city. Reed grabs a rifle from the ship and tells, and tells Ben to go with Sue and Johnny. He's going to hold Annihilus off. They tell him that they aren't leaving without him, without him. At that point, the monster speaks again, saying, No, you aren't. At that point, Annihilus lifts his hand, teleporting the Fantastic Four right in front of him. Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben are shocked. They look back to the ship, and Reed yells, activating the autopilot. The ship starts to fly off. Citizens on board are relieved. Families are together, hugging, children grasping onto their toys. Annihilus chuckles to Reed. The ship is above the ruined skyscrapers at this point, but it stops as the villain points his hand, stopping it mid-air. The engines fight against the hold, and the people on board panic, screaming. Reed yells at Annihilus, begging him to let the people go, but the enemy responds with one word. Richards. Susan pushes Annihilus with a force field, and Ben joins in, punching the monster back. The ship is released. Johnny blasts at him with fire. Reed watches the people escape. With all his power, Annihilus blasts the Fantastic Four away from him. He shoots a laser at the ship, and it's hit. The ship explodes. Reed is shell-shocked. He falls to his knees. Ben holds Susan, and Johnny breathes harder and harder. The wreckage falls. A fiery mess. Reed, with tears in his eyes, asks Annihilus, Why? Why are you doing this? The villain answers, I've seen this moment. Every moment, again and again. I am everything. For I am God. You made God. Reed gets up furious, demanding, What are you talking about? Annihilus looks deep into Reed's eyes. Don't you know? What Annihilus means in Zenian? Did you ever bother to look it up? Reed is dumbfounded, but then, as he thinks and he remembers, he realizes. Slowly, different pieces of Annihilus's skin burn up. They chip and they fade. The wings from his back fall off. The skin sheds. The face morphs. He hunches over, pulling off his body. Slowly, a man stands up straight towards the Fantastic Four. Thunder strikes and the skies darken. With a burnt visage and an emerald robe, he tells Reed, It means doom. In front of Reed and his family stands their old friend, Victor Von Doom. Their faces are shocked. What? He's alive? 
How is Victor alive? Ben asks, what happened to him? What's wrong with his face? Victor defers to Reed. Yes, Reed. What happened to my face? Reed immediately denies being responsible, telling Victor that it was the maker who did this to him. Doom reminds Reed that it was him who took Victor away from his home to fight his war, as it looks like he's done with his own family. But Victor thanks Reed after he was killed and drifted in the endless vacuum of the negative zone. He was brought to a new point of enlightenment. He was resurrected by a species known as Beyonders. The Beyonders are near omnipotent, the creators of the universe. They allowed Victor to drift in the middle of space and time, seeing everything, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Reed asks why, and Victor tells him that Beyonders plan, they've planned on destroying reality. They want to start from scratch. Existence itself has been taken for granted by people like Thanos, people like Tony Stark, people like Reed Richards. The Beyonders had enough, but Doom convinced them to consider their decision and look again. Throughout the universe, there must be at least one person to change everything for the better. The Beyonders did look again, and they did indeed see one person, one name, Richards. Doom was disappointed, expecting the name to be his own, and that disappointment turned into rage. Richards? The man who sent him to his death and never looked back? The man who took Victor's home Latveria and rebuilt it in his own image into a country that disregards all the good Von Doom brought to them because of Richard's mere existence? This man, with the knowledge and anger, he turned on the Beyonders. Doom killed the creators of the universe, taking their power. Victor Von Doom came back to prove destiny wrong. If there's to be a future, it will be his. But he made a few stops on the way. First was to Earth 1610, home of the Reed Richards who would become the maker. Doom is the one who destroyed that Reed's world and his family. Reed asks, you're the reason that Reed became the maker? Why? Doom tells him that he did it for revenge and to test his newfound power. He then focused on the science of the universe, creating different mutations, another planet's rotation, creating viruses. Reed asks him, you killed all these vi people, Victor. To prove what? That you're better than me? I am better than you, Richards, and I won't stop there. My next trip is to Earth, but I'll need some company, he says. On the Nova command ship, they're joined by the other 12 command ships, ready to fire at Zenla. Roman tells them to hold their fire and wait for his command. Franklin asks Norn what's taking the others so long to come back. With Valeria in his arms, he has no answer. Suddenly, Norin, Valeria, and Franklin start to grow. And in a flash, they're gone. Roman asks, what just happened? Back on the surface of Zenla, Norin, Val, and Frank appear in front of the Fantastic Four. Reed and the others rush to them, but they're still held by Doom. Victor glides up in the air, carrying the three newcomers. He tells them to look at the city, at the ruin. Look at the good Reed Richards did and promised to their people. Norn looks down to Reed, asking where the survivors are, but Reed is silent. Ben yells to their kids, don't listen to him. Doom asks Ben, aren't you supposed to be dead? 
He points to the thing and uses his power to accelerate the cancer. Ben's whole body becomes gray. Susan yells, begging, no, please, no. Doom answers, I hear you, Susan. Ben drops to the ground on the last throes of his life. His whole visage is done. Reed is stunned, but Johnny screams. His agonizing agony amplifies his power, releasing him of Doom's hold, and he blasts fire at Doom. It's clobbering time, he yells. Doom grabs the fire and drains all the power out of Johnny. He's now a normal human. Victor directs this fire to Valeria, who at first screams, but momentarily becomes silent. Everyone screams, especially Norrin, who calls for his wife. Her mind alters, and she is now floating next to Doom, with Johnny's stolen power. She is now Doom's. Franklin sees this and yells, cursing Victor. He looks in his mind, seeing that Franklin wants to be the hero, like his father, like his good old Uncle B. Von Toom tells him that if he wants to be like the thing, he can make it so. Slowly, Franklin's skin turns gray and into stone. The others watch in horror, and Ben looks up, seeing not his nephew anymore. Franklin drops in front of Ben's body, and Grimm manages to make out a word. Frank? Franklin Richards responds, no. Terax. He towers over the trapped Fantastic Four. Terax, his hero, is dooms. Terax grabs a sharp bent of metal, carving it out of his skin-tailored skin, his stone-tailored skin, excuse me. It's now a scepter. It's now his weapon. Doom notes that all left is Norn Rad. He comes behind Rad, whispering, you are stronger than all, boy. Because of this, I will not fail you. We will shape all. Victor grabs the back of Norn Rad's head, pouring energy into him. The power cosmic infests Norrin as his skin sheds and he becomes silver. He is a vision of power, pure energy. Norrin drops in front of Reed, who is still trapped. Reed looks to him, destroyed. He says to him, Norrin, son, the former man responds, I am more. He lifts his hand, creating a platform of pure energy, a board that is reminiscent to that he rode before. He steps on the surface and with it flies up next to Doom. He is a silver surfer. Doom says, I am God King. And a king needs heralds. Victor grabs Reed's telecommunication device, changing his voice to sound like Reed. He tells the Novacore to fire down on Zenla immediately. Reed is angry. He yells at him, warning Victor that this is his last chance. Stop now or face my consequences. Doom chuckles, asking Reed that if there were any, would he have won? Terex asks his new master, how will they leave the planet? Doom tells him, by using the planet. Doom says, for the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Victor lifts his hand towards the city of Norin Khan. The buildings made by Reed, different pieces of the celestial corpses, before their eyes, he uses the armor, the body parts, everything, and oh, he's gone. <laughs> Before their eyes, he uses the armor, the body parts, everything to build something new, a ship that will get them across the universe. 
Doom asks Norin what the Zenian word for victory is. The Silver Surfer tells him, Galactus. A new celestial body is formed in front of the winners and the losers, named Galactus, a giant being with purple armor and a giant trifected helmet. Different types of rubble fall from the different pieces of the shell. The skies turn purple and it starts to rain savagely. The city of Norin Khan starts to flood. Doom and his heralds fly to the top of Galactus's head and they fly away from Zenla, marooning the Fantastic Four. Reed, Sue, and Johnny are released and quickly Susan comforts Ben. It's still raining, so you can't see the tears flooding Sue's eyes. Johnny props up Ben's head. The thing's breathing is heavy. It's separated. It's almost done. Susan is telling him to hold on. They'll make it. Ben tells her that it's okay. This was always his plan. He asks for Reed, who is distant, just watching them. Reed comes over slowly, and he apologizes to Ben, saying that he killed him. He killed them all. Ben chuckles and tells him that it's not over. Reed's not in Ben's position, so he still has a chance. Ben asks him to take care of Susan and Johnny, save their kids, save their world. Reed asks how, and Ben tells him that life is a kicking horse, and you're alive to get back on it. Ben Grimm grins one final time, and he's gone. Susan's head falls on her husband's chest, and he, Johnny sits back, terrified. Reed gets up and walks away. He looks to the flooding city, and he hears the sound of missiles passing through the entering atmosphere. Johnny asks him what they do now, and Reed tells him what I should have done from the beginning. Immediately, Reed uncovers his sleeve and taps his wrist three times. From under his skin, the lit shape of a triangle appears. He comes back to the other three. He tells Johnny and Susan to get close. The sound of missiles grow and the flood from afar approaches. Johnny yells, what the hell did you do? Reed tells him, we're playing a very different game now, Johnny. Chess. Victor has his pieces. Now I need mine. The end of them is nearer and nearer. Johnny ducks his head. Susan is still holding Ben's lifeless hand and Reed's arm stretches across all four of them. At that last moment, a yellow glow appears before all hope is lost. Surrounding them is a spiraling circle. It sparks shooting from it. It's a portal, a portal that captures them and saves their lives. The Fantastic Four have disappeared from Zenla. The surface of the planet is destroyed completely by Nova weaponry. It's the end. Their eyes are still closed, but the sound of death can't be heard. Actually, all they can hear is an air conditioner. Reed, Sue, and Johnny open their eyes and look around. They're in a garage of sorts. Not many windows, only one door. Sue looks to Ben, who is still dead. Johnny asks, where are we? Are we in heaven? A voice from behind says, no, thanks to me. The three look behind to see Dr. Stephen Strange. They're confused. How did he know to save them? It's because he got Reed's distress call. Strange lifts his arm, showing them the same triangle in his right wrist. Stephen asks Reed, what happened up in space? Johnny tries to understand what's going on. How did Stephen know where they were? Reed tells him that it's a bit of a secret, but he demands an answer. Another voice from behind says, Go ahead, Reed. There aren't enough dark corners in this room anyway. The voice belongs 
to Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Fury adds, the others are on the way, FYI. Susan and Johnny look back to Reed, who tells them, I'm part of something different than the Fantastic Four. Very different. Nick Fury adds, don't get too mad at him, though. This was actually the idea of uh, Mr. Stark before, well, you know. Reed tells them that he is a member of a silent group that monitors immediate threats to Earth. Johnny is freaked out, saying, I feel like I don't even know you, dude. This is some Illuminati shit. Steven asks Reed what the threat is, and he says that Victor Von Doom is coming from the other side of the galaxy to end reality, starting with Earth. Nick Fury says that it's a good thing that they're coming together then. Susan asks, you mentioned others. Who else is a part of this? Reed uses the triangle device in his arm and shows a hologram with different faces on it. These faces include Mr. Fantastic, Dr. Strange, Nick Fury, Black Panther, Bruce Banner, Human, The Vision, Hank Pym, and Scott Summers. Nick Fury tells him to update his list. They added a new number, a member while he was away. Reed asks who it is, and Fury tells him that he goes by a couple names, dumbest of which is the Submariner. Reed mentions that they'll need as many people as they can for what's coming. Susan comes to Reed, telling him, honestly, Reed, I don't care that you kept this as a secret. Ben's death, it wasn't your fault, okay? Just tell me, how do we stop him? Reed tells her, by getting everyone. The camera do dollies out of the room as a pact is made. The Fantastic Four will now prepare for Doomsday. The scene is ended by the sound of bagpipes. We cut to a graveyard during a red sunset where Reed Richards speaks at the sight of Ben Grimm in a proper suit laying a rose atop the gravestone. In attendance, Susan Storm with Ben's necklace of his wedding ring around her. Johnny is there as well, joined by Alicia and their newborn baby, Nathaniel Storm. Dr. Strange is there next to Nick Fury. Surrounding them, filling up the graveyard, is the entire staff and student body of the Future Foundation, with Willie on the bagpipes. In Latveria, the people of the country throw flowers towards the statue of the Fantastic Four, along with the pictures of the thing. Abdul, the representative, is in the center of Tonsburg, seeing candles, children's paintings, and their action figures. Signs captioned, it's always clobbering time. In the streets of New York City, people wear orange shirts, armbands. Thousands of police officers walk the streets. Giant posters of, John, of Benny, uh, Ben's rocky face plastered everywhere. At the cemetery, Reed's words reflect his relationship with the thing. Ben was his oldest friend. And Reed won't forget that. All because his focus was geared towards scientific discovery. Most of his life, he never understood the machinations of friendship why specific people were drawn to each other. After spending his time with Ben Grimm, he realized it didn't matter why. Ben always thought of himself as a monster, but of all the souls Reed encountered in his travels, Ben was the most human. Reed steps down, hugging Susan Storm, as they see Ben's grave lowered. He, his grave is filled. The crowd begins to disperse with some crying, and some quiet. Alicia kisses Johnny, taking baby Nathan to the car, guided by Doctor Strange and Nick Fury. All that's left at the site is Reed, Sue, and Johnny. The sun sets, and all that can be briefly seen are the silhouettes 
of the Fantastic Four. After that, the day ends. Post-credit scene. In the Baxter building, Reed enters his apartment. He loosens his tie, expecting just a drink after a funeral. He pours himself some tea and is joined unexpectedly by Nick Fury. Fury asks if he has two other cups. Reed is confused. Two? Another man joins them in the apartment. A shorter man with a fine haircut, a tailored suit, and a calm demeanor. The man says, Thought I could be of some use for Doom's attack. Reed implores the stranger, And you are? The gentleman pulls out an ID card. Phil Coulson, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) Number two. In an office of the Baxter building, Ben Whitman is doing experiments with some weapons tech he developed. He puts on a helmet made to channel kinetic energy. Suddenly, his ears ring and he throws the helmet off. In his head, the voice of Victor Von Doom can be heard. You are the wizard. Perhaps I may have some use for you. The Fantastic Four will return. Wow, my man. (laughs) Wow, man. Oh, man. That was crazy. You know what's even crazier? That was crazy. I just pieced myself. (laughs) That was crazy. That was a wild ride. Seriously. That was insane. Do some talking, man. I'm... (laughs) You're a monster. Yeah, you need to rest. You're a monster. You're a monster. Thank you. Well, first of all, I thought it was wonderful. I really did. I really enjoyed all of it. Your, Your writing reminds me of like reading a Joss Whedon comic book, you know? Oh, thank you. Wow. Yeah, for real. Thank you. There's there's this constant character work, uh, you know, at the level of the action that you set up. Like it's all just consistent, and there's just something happening, and 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 uh, you know these new revelations that are constantly happening. Like I think it's just such a great example of what how current events can influence our writing. You know, especially with this whole pandemic happening. Yeah. Like I love that the main focus of this was like a virus. Yeah, that's actually coincidental cuz I've I mean, you know me, I've been doing this for a while. We've been mm. talking about uh, like I had these parts planned since we did the before we did the first part back in September and I was actually writing the drafts to this in December and then wow. everything started to happen and I was like I got to use this stuff. Wow. Yeah. Well, even then, like, even if you come up with the concept before, like, it just shows like how relevant or how engaging your, your content can be based on the times that we're going through now. Like, I think it'd be the perfect time to, if this was published, to release it to the public because it has such a good message of like doing the right thing and, and trying to be productive together, collaborating in order to create this cure and, and saving one another it's really special and it's uplifting and it's enlightening. And it, you know, it also offers a great sense of escapism. Like as you were talking this whole time, I was just in the story, you know? And I think that's, that's, that's the fundamental thing that you need in a great story is the ability to allow someone to visit that world. 
for a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened with me. Like, love Thank the character you. work. I love that you used Annihilus. Like, the second that we see him on screen in the MCU is going to be pretty damn crazy. But I love the way that you adapted the story. Like, I love that it was it was actually Doom. And Doom was actually the the person who created the maker uh, due to his actions of, of destroying that world. As I was listening to part two pitch, I was like, I, I was pretty certain that the maker destroyed his entire world and his family couldn't forgive him. And he actually ended up like offing his family. And it was himself that uh, kind of, uh, you know, just took that out of his mind that like, he's the one that caused the death yeah. of his family and stuff. And he blamed everybody else. But, it's really cool that doom was actually um, responsible for that. You know, mm-hmm. you had, you had a cool little timeline thing going on there, which, which was really, really cool. Um, ben dying. I mean, that's just so emotional and he, you're right. He, he really is the most human on the team, you know, as monstrous as he feels, he really is the most human. Yeah. And I love seeing uh, those characteristics throughout the story. Johnny's arc is really cool. I, I, I think it's really rare to see Johnny as a mature man, especially who has things going together. Usually we see him and he's kind of like this fun bachelor who just, you know, he's just doing it for fame. Kind but of what he story, was in the, in the previous parts. Yeah, exactly. You know, taking advantage of that celebrity and yeah. then kind of realizing that that celebrity wasn't, you know, maybe the answer to, to his happiness. And then in this installment, like, I love the conversations between him and Reed. Like the fact that he's telling him like, yo, Reed, you're taking these people out and you're asking people to risk everything that they have. No, you know, that was really interesting to watch and to see him finally come on board. I think was just even more rewarding than what could have been just a simple, okay, let's go on another adventure. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the, I love the focus of the science here. I love the complete influence that you have in your writing from from Star Trek, you know, I, oh, I yeah. feel that love there, and I totally feel like Fantastic Four does need to be in the same vein as as Star Trek, you know, not not so much focus on keep looking at the dirt, but looking up to the stars and 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 expanding expanding our our world, our connections, our our minds, mm-hmm. and you know that that's a superpower in itself that we all have the ability to take advantage of. Like the yeah. ability of expanding our minds. It's endless, I feel like, you know? I think so too. I, I think that's the the whole idea. And those for these stories in particular, the uh, leaving, like exploring has to be the next step. Yeah. Or else there's no reason to do the Fantastic Four. You know what I mean? Like there's, if you're not going to do something different, in terms of goal environment and characterization, I don't think there's, you're just going through the same beats as before. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. I think the MCU has such a great opportunity to show us the significance of the fantastic four, like metaphorically, like Iron Man, think of him as seriously the shield of the earth, right? Fantastic four. They're the shield of the universe. They constantly expand and explore and investigate and experiment and encounter things that are just mind-boggling but they're the they're the, they're the ones that prevent those dangers from even happening within the universe so think of them like that you know yeah look at that it's so beautiful man 
Honestly, I want to read a Fantastic Four comic now, right now. You know, seriously. After after getting this, after being fed this, I want to look at them on on panels now. You know. Yeah. But I want I wanted to ask you what is there a comic that you know of where the maker is is like a significant antagonist, like the main main antagonist? Because I I really dig the way that you use um, the maker I think- and Annihilus too, even though oh, it was really different. It was uh, yeah that that's me and the Fantastic Four just changing things. I mean one of the yeah. biggest one of the biggest examples in this part is Alicia Masters, uh, who we've seen in films before, where she mm-hmm. if she was played by the uh, actress uh, from Django. Oh right, yes. Yeah, and pr- usually she is with Ben, and right. it, it's not that I have anything against that relationship. It's just you know. You 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 know how I like to write. I like to do things that are different. And there's a, actually a period in the comics where uh, they were together, Johnny and uh, Alicia. And, but that's a very right. small time. But um, the maker, back to your question, the maker, uh, he's a, a villain within, uh, I think it's Doom. Because the maker is from the ultimate Marvel comics. It's that version yeah. of Reed Richards who ends up being a bad guy. He becomes that in Doom, I, the story Doom, I think. And then he is a, a, an antagonist in Secret Wars, the Jonathan Hickman Secret Wars. And then they brought him into the Marvel Now after Secret Wars. Yeah, he's a crazy villain, bro. Like, I really like his, I really like his, co- like his costume, like the way he looks. Yeah. I really do think it's menacing and intimidating. But the Annihilus in your story is just so insane. That's not Annihilus. I love that Doom is Annihilus. I love that he basically creates Galactus because of how powerful he is. That's freaking awesome. I love Uh, that Silver Surfer. That's not how uh, Galactus uh, was originated. (laughs) Well, no. I mean, look. That's not how they did Galactus in the comic. People need to remember that this is an adaptation. And it makes sense the way that you did it because he, I mean, even with the inclusion of the Beyonders and, and Doom betraying them and, and absorbing their power, hell yeah, he would have the power to create a, a complete celestial, you know, you yeah. know, and, and then, and then the celestial having its, having a force of its own, a mind of its own to, yeah. to, to turn Norn Rad into Galactic Silver Surfer. That's dope. Yeah. I'm telling you, I love writing Victor, Victor. Uh, I envisioned him being kind of a mix of um, what's that guy's name? Uh, I forgot his name, but he played Ramses in the 10 commandments with Charlton Heston mm. uh, and uh, a mix between, I, for, I forgot the actor's name, but him and Ricardo Montalban as Khan in Star Trek. Funny enough, the whole Star Trek thing. I love the bravado of that. I love the uh, flamboyance of that and i think that's the presence that i emulated or i try to emulate while writing victor you know i could totally see that yeah i think that completely works and uh if it wasn't apparent there is a part four to this and it is the complete marvel action hour where i don't care i don't care if anyone says oh man they, they can't afford that i'm i can afford it because I can type it. Um, yeah. it, it is 
I'm writing, you know, because of this quarantine thing, I've had a lot of extra time to write uh, because we were supposed to release this in March. So it, I'm halfway done with this part four. Um, Good. And it's called, um, uh, you want the title now or you want it surprised or whatever. Surprise me. Okay. All right. It's a fourth part. <laughs> and, I'm hired, man. I mean, and, getting everybody up against Doom, Galactus and Silver Surfer. It's crazy. And the the Harold and the uh, no uh, Val and Franklin. That's right. Because they're heralds now. Uh, you know, and uh, that I was talking to funny enough Darius about before uh, recording this, and he was talking yeah. about how they can't do Illuminati because they don't have like Black Bolt was messed up, Tony's dead, Cap's old. Now I'm just I just wanted to do the Illuminati anyway. Yeah, you can still do the Illuminati, and then they can constantly evolve. You know, we when, once we get those characters introduced, we can or that's, reintroduced, we can get them. Simple as that, man. Yeah, you- I mean, I I mean, uh, Ant Man didn't come into Avengers until later on, till after his movie. There you go, Ant Man and Wasp, X Men. Look yeah. at them. Look at them. They're coming in late, and I'm very happy to return to writing Scott Summers again because I loved writing him in the X Men stuff we did. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorites. So when can people, when can our audience expect part four? Oh, man. Um, as soon as possible. Um, you know, I, I'm not terribly, I'm not too sure right now. I'm aiming for maybe late May, uh, but I'm not sure. Just because when I write this stuff, I want to go over it again, make sure it works. Uh, and I'm not, right. and I'm almost done with the first draft. Um, but I also need to know where it, um, and you know how it's going to wrap up and I don't want things to be loose or anything. I want things to be like, uh, <laughs> just tight, but if Perfect. you, but right now I'm aiming for later May. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I love doing this every time. And I, I think you left off in a very special place. A very, a very exciting place for me, yeah. for, for me and for hopefully our listeners. Yeah, totally. I agree. Well, that's going to conclude this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, please leave your comments in the comment section below. What do you think about Julius's fantastic four pitch part three feel free proof to that i do care part. about do i do i do actually like them just proof <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a comic I, I gotta get a shirt now man yeah i, I gotta get I a shirt of those <laughs> me too everybody please feel free to share your thoughts on part one two and three thank you so much for listening for those of you who stuck to the whole time you are truly fantastic and please share your comments because you are all as brilliant as reed richards and Julius here. Oh, thank so, you, man. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at thegopodcast at gmail.com. If you ever want to do like a podcast with us and Zoom with us, please feel free to contact us as well. We're completely down to have a discussion with any of you about anything regarding movies, television, comics, uh, pop culture, literally anything. You want to tell us how you're doing throughout this whole quarantine, we'll go ahead and, and listen. We can you know, set a time for like a half hour to an hour podcast. It'd be awesome. So... Yeah, we're really honored to be doing this every single day. Expect content. Um, I really love the work that we're doing. And I'm really proud of Julius for, for, you know, putting this kind of stuff out there. It is such a blessing to have videos like this on our podcast. I couldn't even imagine, you know, 
one of us starting off, you know, creating stories, but here we are, you're, you're creating a whole freaking expansion of one of the greatest cinematic universes in, in, in movies, so. The, the expansion. Yeah, I commend you for that, my friend. Thank you. So, uh, if you want to be a subscriber, please feel free to subscribe. Join our community. We have over 3,000 subscribers, and we can't wait to have any of you on board because you make this community the greatest of all time. My name is Angel. I'm Julius. And this is the GOAT Movie Podcast. Thank you so much. The GOAT Podcast is proof you don't have to look any further for movie news, reviews, trailer reactions, or special discussions. Subscribe, get notified about what's going on, and I promise you'll be entertained by our daily content on YouTube. If you want more, we're on Twitter at GOAT Film Podcast, Instagram The GOAT Podcast, and The GOAT Movie Group on Facebook. Get connected with us, see what's happening, and make sure to love it while you're doing so.